0: Is probably one of the most ancient uh, writings uh, second third century or actually la- latter part of the second century the church was expanding rapidly in the uh, Greco-Roman Empire among people that uh, our Jewish friends were called Gentiles in other words they had no religious background no understanding of Judaism and so uh, the church kind of coalesced and said, you know, we've got to come to an agreement with things that are important and things that we agree agree on. And so the result of that was the Apostles' Creed, and said, your your job is just one little phrase: I believe in the Holy Spirit. So that's 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 the task he's been given or he's given to me, and it's a task that is greater than certainly my abilities. He also said, you know, they'd be very impressed this morning if you could call down fire. And uh, I thought, you know, I'd be very impressed if I could, you know, call down fire. That, that's probably not going to happen. And in, the only time it did happen or the only time it was referenced in the New Testament is when the disciples wanted to call down fire and Jesus rebuked them for it. So maybe we won't see any fire this morning. But we do want a greater understanding and comprehension of who the personage is of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the verse we want to start with this morning is is very insightful and very important. Uh, this would have been an, a, a kind of an unbelievable experience for the Jews this day, in the words that Jesus spoke. And I'm going to have to put them in context because, for you and I, you know, being Gentiles, the majority of us, are not having any Jewish background or roots, uh, this is going to kind of come as, you know, just out of the blue. Uh, but this was a very deep and significant uh, implications into the words of Jesus. So uh, John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last and the most important day uh, of the festival. Let me just, before we go any further, let me mention, this is, this is the festival uh, of, of tabernacles. And what happened is at the end of the year, after the last harvest, uh, the weather, like here, it, it turns dry and cool. And so the harvest comes in, and uh, the Jews would come from really all over the world. And uh, they would come into Jerusalem to the Herodian temple, which was massive. And they would spend eight days together. And they would bring, you know, what we, we, we would just call it camping. There was no glamping, just, you know, kind of palm tree, fawns and stuff like that. And they, and they would live out in, in around the, the, the temple, they would barbecue, and they would celebrate. Uh, it, was, it really was a festival, except for the last day. There were seven days that were kind of uh, a celebration. And uh, Herodias, uh, not Herodias, but uh, Josephus, a Roman historian, actually attended one. And he said that uh, uh, every day that there was a choir of 4,000 people. Now, you, and I, you know, it's kind of hard for us to kind of, you know, this is a, this is a big deal so uh everybody you know thousands tens of thousands of people would gather but they had a choir 4,000 people on the day that josephus was there they had an orchestra of 234 he counted 234 uh, people playing instruments and what they would do is is the priest in all their fine and garb you know uh, they would walk down to the pool of salome where uh, the waters flowed from that kind of uh, artesian well and they would get a, a golden bowl of water and they would carry it up to the temple and they would pour out the water on uh, the altar uh, before the people and when and when they did the choir would begin to sing and the orchestra would begin to play and the people would begin to sing songs of, of remembrance because most of their songs you know hymn a hymn is, is is just a song that tells a story would be a story about something that god had done in their past. And so th- this this celebration, they were camping, they were cooking out, uh, they were having a great time. And uh, what they were doing was they were remembering the time that God was with them in the 40 years in the desert. So if you know the story, uh, the people were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them from their slavery in Egypt. And uh, they spent 40 years, a whole generation lived and died uh, in, in in the desert. And, and they faced significant Uh, uh, difficulties and adversaries, uh, and and, and it was very hard times for the Israelites to live, but but God's presence, God's power was always with them, and so uh, it was a good reminder that when we go through the valleys or when we're facing uh, significant challenges in life, that God does not abandon his people, so that that was the celebration, Uh, and then... uh, so on, on the seven days they would do this, but on the eighth day they didn't. They didn't sing, they didn't celebrate, and, and they, didn't, they didn't do the w- ritual with the water. And, and so it was a day where uh, they reflected, they call it that day a solemn assembly, where they, they thought soberly, where the other days had kind of been party days. Uh, the eighth day was a sober day where, where they thought of all the things that God had done and all the things that that God would do uh, in their lives, especially as they face difficult times. So it was on this day, and then Jesus stands up, and he cries out in the Herodian temple where all these thousands of people would have heard him. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams, not, not a stream, but multiple streams of living water that will flow from deep within him, and he, and he said this about the spirit. That's very instructive. We really need to pay attention about that because we know Jesus would be crucified and then he, he, he descend to be in, in, in heaven with the Father. And, and so the physical presence of Jesus would no longer be with his disciples and, and we would not see him or experience him in the way the disciples did. But he said the spirit, the spirit would come. And he goes on, he says, uh, he, he testifies about this to, for all those who believed in him were going to receive, for the Spirit had yet, yet, not, been, yet not been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, in, in, in the church in America in particular, there's a lot of confusion about the personage in, in, in the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, in, in my generation, I, and I need to say this, for 1,900 years, I don't think that, that if you look at the history of the church, that confusion has not existed, but it does, it does for us. And having lived overseas in, in different places, uh, I, I hate to say that uh, the American church has exported a lot of stuff uh, that has been confusing to the brothers and sisters in Christ who live around the world about, about the personage and the work of the Holy Spirit. And th- that's really a shame. And so I think there's a lot of different reactions in America uh, to where we talk about the Holy Spirit that people kind of react because of what they've seen and they've experienced in the church in this generation. And the first, the first error that I've seen in my 45 years of ministry is that some churches, some people attribute everything to the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and that is if they have a feeling, if they have a hunch, if they have a dream, you know, if they, if, if they have a laughing fit, if they, if they bark like a dog, if they pull for the Florida Gators... I mean, you know, you, know, people will, you know, people just kind of subjectively just say, oh, well, the Spirit told me to say this, or the, or the Lord gave me a word. As a pastor for all these years and a missionary, uh, that those words strike fear in my heart when somebody walks up to me and says, I have a word from the Lord for, for you. Know, for you. Uh, I, I've, I've dealt with people who have come out of churches who have been spiritually abused because those congregations and those people use that type of phraseology in order to manipulate and control and, and, and get people to do something uh, that otherwise they wouldn't do. Uh, so there, there, there has been a lot of excess or excess in the American church in, in abuses of the Holy Spirit. And I, think, I think sometimes as a result of that, the other, the other side of that is to ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean that's that's as dangerous, if not more dangerous. And so there there's there's there are churches uh, that it, are in America that are just totally unfamiliar. If the Holy Spirit showed up in a demonstrable way, they wouldn't recognize him. And so when he doesn't show up, and, and there's a you know something else going on, they may attribute it to that to him. So it's it's a great great error for the church and for the people of God not to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how He works. I heard this story the other day that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they were talking about where they are going to go on vacation. And the Father said, I think I'm going to go back to the mountains. And the Son you know, asked the Father, why are you going to go to the mountains? And he said, well, you know, I, the mountains always remind me of the majesty of creation. And so I, just, I really enjoy going back to the mountains for vacation. And so uh, the Son said, well, I think I'm going to go back to Galilee. You know, I just want to go back and hang out all those spots and all those significant times that I had with the disciples. And, you know, I, I just think I'm going to go back to Galilee for my vacation. So the father looked at the Holy Spirit and he said, where are you going to go on vacation? He said, I think I'm going to go to a Presbyterian church. And they said, well, well, the father said to the Holy Spirit, why are you going to go to a Presbyterian church? And The Holy Spirit said, well, I think I want to go somewhere I've never been before. <laughs> now, that was told by a Presbyterian pastor So for, before you get before the wrath of God comes down and we have fire. <laughs> but, but, but you know, there's, there's, it nothing to do with the Presbyterian Baptist, non-denominational, but, but the reality is for a lot of us, we're very uncomfortable and very unfamiliar with what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that I want to say is, is, is the Holy Spirit is not the Jedi force. You know, it's not some kind of mysterious, uh, for your older, it's not Casper the Ghost. I think one of the one of the worst transliterations when we when we translate you know the Bible uh, from the Greek and the Hebrew into the English is we came up with the Holy Ghost. He's not a ghost; he's a person. So the Spirit is a much better word. As a matter, matter of fact, I was reading this, uh, you know, from some some Jewish historians. They are telling us that the in, the in the in the Old Testament in the Hebrew they don't have vowels; they just have consonants. And it's very hard for us, you know, to to work through Hebrew. And, and you'll know, understand exactly what it has to say because it doesn't have any vowels. So later on, we, we added in vowels. But, 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 but literally, the consonants, for the for when God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself as Yahweh. And if you remove it, it's, it's literally what the historians tell us. It is, is the, it is the two consonants that describe human breath. Drawing in, breathing out. Drawing in, breathing out. So when God revealed himself, he revealed himself to humanity as I am your breath. I am breath. So that just always comforts me is every time time an atheist breathes, he breathes the name of God. I mean that that that's just how God how God how intimate God is, and when Jesus translated re, reiterated that into into the Greek, he used the word pneuma, which just means air or breath, the same thing. And so the Holy Spirit is is one of the part of the it's one of the personages of of. of of, of, the, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's, he's not just the Jedi Force. And all through the Old Testament, we saw these promises because the Holy Spirit would only come at certain particular period of time and, and usually speak to and work with and speak through and feel a prophet. And then that prophet, the Holy Spirit, would leave that prophet. It wouldn't stay with it. But, but all the promises in the Old Testament were that there'd be a Messiah, and, and when the Messiah came, the Spirit of God would come, and he would be, and we're about to go into that season of the year, Emmanuel. You've heard the phrase, Emmanuel. We've lived around the world where the teachings in other religions is you can never know God because God is unknowable. He's holy. He's distant. He's unreachable. But what the Old Testament prophet said is that there's a time where God is literally coming to live with his people. He's coming to indwell his people. And so that was the hope in the Old Testament is that the personage of God would come through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He would be Emmanuel. He would be God with us. In John chapter 14, Jesus said these words, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor who will be with you forever. So, the counselor of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans as I am coming to you. And so one of the great truths of Scripture is that you and I, if we know how to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, we are never devoid of the presence of God. So just like that, that Old Testament Israelite going through the desert, he always had what they called the Shekinah glory of God, which was a cloud that was illuminated at night. And they, they knew that the presence and the power of God was always with them. In fact, what we see is is that God became so angry in the desert with the people. He said, "Listen." He told Moses, he said, "I'm not. My presence will no longer be with you. I'm going to send my angels before you." And and what that what that would mean is is that he was literally telling Moses, "My power will go with you, but my presence will not be there any longer." And Moses refused to go. You wouldn't go any further? I mean, that's a different understanding that, that you, you, you and I would, would say we, we could not, we could not, we should not exist as a church. We cannot exist as a Christian. We cannot follow Christ rightly. We can never experience God apart from his presence. We should look for the presence of God. We should, the, the two commandments in Scripture about the Holy Spirit is, is we are to walk in the Holy Spirit, which means that we are to live in the Spirit. It's not an experience on Sunday that god or christ is calling us to it is a lifestyle and then he tells us to be filled with the spirit to be overflowed with the spirit not partially uh you know kind of filling up that vessel but totally and completely so the holy spirit is is all through scripture is is the very presence of god with his people and the second thing we see in scripture is the work of the spirit what is the holy spirit doing what is he doing in your life what does he desire to do? What does he do in the life of the, of the church? What does he do in the life of the, the person who doesn't know Christ? How is he active in the world that we live in today? Uh, J- Jesus said this in John chapter 16 about the work of the Spirit, verse 5. But now I'm going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I've spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. You can imagine how astounded the disciples would have been. You know, they 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 had seen Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his words. They'd seen Jesus touch the blind man and heal him. They'd seen Jesus heal people. He'd seen Je- they had seen Jesus uh, raise people from the dead. And yet, here, here's the Son of God saying, I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going I'm to go to be with the Father. But it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. Those are astounding words. And he says, "Listen, if I don't go away, because if I don't go away, the Counselor will not come to you." He goes on to say, "And if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment about sin, because they don't believe in me." So, what what is the work of the Holy Spirit? How do we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Number one is is the Holy Spirit is a God. Is a God. And the way, best way to describe it is is that the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, he gives us the ability to see our life through God's circumstances. That's called wisdom, by the way. And, and you and I don't have that ability. We, can't see, we cannot see the end from the beginning. We don't know what God is doing. And so just like the Israelites, sometimes you and I experience these times where we're living in the desert. When we're facing adversity, we're facing difficulties, and, and, and life seems difficult and hard. And, and when the Israelites, uh, when they looked up into the sky, they always saw that Shekinah glory, that glory, glowing cloud, and they knew that regardless of what they were facing, God was with them. And God now has given his children, through his son Jesus Christ, the presence of the living person of the Holy Spirit to live in us, and he guides us. Life is filled with difficult decisions that have dramatic impact on our future. And, uh, you know, I'm not talking about praying for our parking space at Sam's, you know, during Christmas season. Uh, You know, I've heard some of the kind of nutso stuff in the church where we attribute those kind of things to the Holy Spirit. But there are times where we just have, have, we have paths to choose. And, and when we pray and we're walking in the Spirit, the Bible says it's not so much that we even have to ask anymore, but the book of Proverbs says that God just orders our steps. We, we, we don't even have to be uh, concerned about it unless there's a moral choice involved where it's right or wrong, but other times we just, we just learn what it means to just... Walk in, in God's spirit in such a way, cultivate His spirit in such a way that we know we're walking in surrender to God's will and God orders our step. But it, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, as a counselor, gives His children wisdom in, in the path that we should choose in life. And, and the second thing is, is that He's a, he's a revelator, uh, he, he gives us illumination. Uh, see, we're material, we're physical. And, and, and so much of this world is, in reality, is spiritual, and yet, you know, humanity would deny that. I can remember, I grew up in church. I wasn't a believer, but I grew up in church. And I can remember sometimes, as a kid, I was, I was, I was a troublemaker, to say the least. But anyway, I got in trouble a lot. And, and so when I really, 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 really got in trouble, my mother would become very exasperated, and I knew I was going to get punished, and, and she, she'd get so exasperated, she said, what you really need is Jesus. And I can remember thinking, you know, I, I'm in trouble, and maybe I do need Jesus. And so I'd do something because I had the influence of the church. I, I'd open the Bible, and I'd start to read the scripture. But you know what? It, it was dead to me. It meant nothing. I might as well have been reading Hebrew or Greek because there was no life, there was no power in God's Word. But at 19 years of age on a secular university campus where I finally met Christ and Christ came into my heart, all of a sudden I began to read the Scripture and God began to illuminate. He began to show me things that I could never see with my dead humanistic material eyes. He gave me spiritual life. And so I, I, I'm amazed, I'm, I don't mind telling you, I'm 67. And as I read Scripture, God continues to give illumination. I see things. I've read a Scripture verse a hundred million times, and all of a sudden, I'm in a situation. I'm in a valley. I'm climbing a mountain. I'm facing a circumstance, and I read a verse I've read a thousand times before, and all of a sudden, bam, just all of a sudden, God shines his light, and I see what Jesus or the Spirit was talking about when that particular text was written. God gives us illumination, but it's the work of the Spirit. The third thing is, you know, I like to kind of break it. It's really two things, or yeah, two things. But I just got there's it. one. one. He's a comforter. He's a comforter. I've got two friends uh, over the past few years who lost their wives, who their lives, wives passed away, and I've watched them very closely. I work with them very closely, and uh, I know that both of them were in a deep love relationship, and um, so I watch these guys grieve, and, and, and I watch them weep, I watch them grieve, but I also watch their joy. And both, both of them have expressed to me is that, that the time of the closest presence and comfort of God has been during this time of grieving of losing their wives. In fact, one guy said, I have come to know Christ in such a powerful way that I would have never known, apart from this valley, That the valley is dark, the mountain is high, the ocean is deep, but God's presence is sufficient. And so, so God comforts us when we're going through those times of loss, when we're going through those times of darkness, when, when we're fearful of what life holds around the next corner. It is, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to encourage us and to give us courage to face those days because that's what he does. But he's also a smoke alarm. You know, uh, sometimes when we cook... Uh, my wife will be cooking something, and it'll it, 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 set, it set off the smoke alarm, and it's it's always a surprise, right? You know, it's kind of like, ooh, 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 you know, dive, dive. It's like a submarine. I mean, it's terrible, and, and you think all the neighbors are going to come running, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I used to love to sin. Uh, you know, you see all these guys up here in the band, and, and they all have their shirts Untucked. I, I just tucked my shirt in this morning just to rebel. And I, I was a very rebellious young man. And I can remember, I can remember bragging to my friends about my sin. I was proud of my sin. I, I, I loved my sin. I, I would defend my sin. But, but when I when I came to faith in Christ, I, I want you to know, I didn't stop sinning. I still sin, but the difference is I can't tolerate it anymore. The difference is is that now the Holy Spirit begins to warn me: No, no, no! This isn't for you. This isn't for you. You've been there. You've eaten that vomit before. Don't go back to it. But but there's there's even some even even something worse about this conf- conflicting nature of the Holy Spirit is 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 not. Not when the smoke alarm goes off, but when the battery dies. You know what I'm talking about? 2.30 in the morning, you're laying in bed. Beep. Beep. Put pillow over your head. Beep. All right, get up. You go out in the living room. Beep. Okay, I got, I got six of them. Ah, oh, it's this one. Beep. You, go, you change the battery. You go back to bed. Beep. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get the right battery. One of the most nagging things about the Holy Spirit is he reminds you of what you could have and what you should have in Jesus, but you don't have it. You should have flowing rivers of life coming inside of you, but you look for all these external things for your affirmation for your life. You look to your husbands, you look to your wives, you look to your boyfriends, you look to your girlfriends, you look to your job, you look to your cars, you look to your house, you look to all these things, and yet even as a believer, you don't have that joy, you don't have that power, you don't have that satisfaction because you've never learned to cultivate the life of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so you should hear be. So the Holy Spirit is a conflictor. He's a comfort, and the last thing that we see is that he convicts the world of sin. In other words, it's it's not you and I that we're so winsome as we tell people about what God has done for us, but it is the very power of God that opens that person that we're speaking to about Jesus. He opens their heart. He opens their eyes. I can't tell you how many times at a college fraternity party that I was walking around with a bourbon in my head, drunk, where people would tell me about Jesus, and I didn't want to hear anything they had to say, but you know what? The Holy Spirit was seeking me. God was seeking me. Me. I was never a good man looking for God, but God is good, and he came looking for a bad man. See, see, God does that. We don't do it. We just have to be faithful. So the Holy, you want to know what the Holy Spirit is doing in Asheville today? He's working to convince people that they need a Messiah, that they need a Savior, they need a Redeemer. That's his job, not yours. Your job is to simply be faithful to tell the story of what he's done on your behalf. So that, that, that's what God is doing in our generation. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in his work. Before we leave today, I just, I just kind of want to go with three takeaways in regards to the Holy Spirit. The, the first one is this. is The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. His job is not to draw attention to himself, but his job is to shine the light on the Father and the Son. Everything the Holy Spirit does gives glory to the Father. Everything the Holy Spirit does gives glory to the Son. He he won't come into the life of our congregation. He won't come into your life bragging about himself. He's going to remind you about the words of Jesus. He's going to remind you who you are. He's going to remind you about what he can do or what the Father can do and what the Son has done on your behalf and what your future is. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is a spotlight that shines the light on the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son. Something else I want to mention is we need to consider what it's like to be a Christian or be a church without the work of the Holy Spirit. What is a church without the Spirit? Well, I've traveled all over the United States and spoken in, I don't know how many thousands of different congregations over the years. And I've seen a lot of things. And a lot of what I see in America, let me just say this, I've... I've been in the refugee camps where the people have brutalized one another, in genocidal war, and I've seen the Holy Spirit come in those camps, and I've seen people come to faith in Christ, and I've seen restoration, I've seen forgiveness, I've seen the power of God, but I've been in a lot of churches. And it kind of reminds me when we came back from furlough one year, and the first time our kids were small and they were kind of exposed to the United States, your pastor and his sister, and we went to Disney World. And we'd go into some of the rides, and they had some of those animated, you know, animated princesses and speaking pirates and all that kind of stuff. And, and afterwards, I had to explain to Chris they're not real. I don't know that he's ever gotten over the trauma, but. I had say, you know, they're just machines that are animated by electricity. They don't have life. Brothers and sisters, I've been in a lot of churches in America that they have a good show, but it's not spirit. How do you know when the Spirit of God shows up amidst his people? Lives are transformed, lives are changed. You do not meet the God who created the glorious universe and cosmos. You do not meet God and not be transformed. And when God moves into the life of an individual, and when God moves into the life of a congregation, everything changes. There's life. It's real. The glory of God is something to behold when he moves through his spirit in the life of the congregation. Years ago when I was a pastor as a young kid, we moved up into a rural area of the United States. And they had a whole different hymnology than what I grew up with. I kind of grew up in a college church where we sang a lot of Latin. And uh, I always loved to say, you know, I was listening to ZZ Top and they were singing Latin. It didn't work. Uh, But this church had its own hymnology. And I remember singing this song, and I printed it off this morning, but it had a powerful impact on me. Brethren, we've met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? All is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray. Oh, brethren, pray. And holy manna will be showered all around. That second verse still grips me. Brethren, see poor sinners round you slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming. Hell is moving. Can you bear? Can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. If there's any great need in the life of the church in America today, it is the power of the Spirit of God. If there's any great need I have is Monday morning when I get up. Regardless of what happens, regardless of whether I'm on the mountaintop or the valley, I need the presence of God. I need his power, but I need his presence. I need to know he's with me. I need to be able to say with the psalmist of taste and see that God is good, that he's life. That he's not just some animated show that happened on Sunday morning, but he's as real in my life on the weekdays as he was on the Sunday when I was stirred up by the music or the sermon that I heard from the preacher. You see, in Acts chapter 1, there was a passage where Jesus speaking to the disciples after his resurrection, he said this while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in many days from now. So after the resurrection, Jesus said, Get together and pray and do nothing until the Spirit comes. Because everything you do without the Spirit of God will not prevail. It will be for naught, for nothing. Everything the church does without the Spirit of God is for nothing. Everything we do as human beings without the Spirit of God is for nothing. But Jesus said, wait, your first priority today is to abide. Your first priority today is to get up and hear from him, to walk with him, to know him, to taste him, to experience him. I've given this to you, this privilege, this, this blessing of the presence of God. Don't forsake it. My wife and I will go next week, as you're here, we'll be on a beach, hopefully post-hurricane celebrating our 45th anniversary. Now, we actually had it in July, but we had a lot of other things going on. We couldn't get away. So uh, I picked this week. And now I, ca- I can't tell you a lot about the wedding day. I know that I got up and had uh, a banana split with my friends. And I know that after the service, we got to the back of the church, and my wife grabbed me, and she said, you forgot to kiss me. Ah, uh, some things are just better forgotten. <laughs> every day, every afternoon, my wife Heather and I, we walk about an hour, hour and a half. We walk around a lake and she decompresses. We, di- we talk about our children. We talk about our grandchildren. We talk about our fears. We talk about the battles we're having. We're talking about the hopes that we have for the future. And as we walk, we, we hold hands. As we get through with the walk, we sit down on a little bench and we look out over the lake and uh, we, just, we just spend time together. I love that woman. When, she, when I leave, she's short. I love it. She puts her arms around me and she prays for me. She puts them around my neck. And she strokes my face. And when we're that close, I can smell her hair. And I look down and she's got those big brown eyes. (laughs) She told me not to get mushy this morning. You see, it was never about the wedding day, it's about the relationship. You see, coming to Christ is just coming to the gate but the filling of the Holy Spirit is living in the garden. It's a restoration of the presence of God with his people. I believe in the Holy Spirit because God is good. God is rich. God is satisfying. God gives life meaning. His presence His presence is to your good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you've not left us as orphans as we see this world spin out of control. And at times we feel like our own lives are spinning out of control, that we have the steadfast anchor of the presence of God, not only his power of salvation and his power of transformation, but, Father, the sweetness of your lips pressed against our face, the warmth of your embrace in the worst of times, Father, you've not promised to deliver us from the storms, but you've promised to get us home. You've promised to be with us. And I rejoice in that. You're worthy, worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Come, Spirit. Fill us, Spirit. Teach us what it means to walk into sweetness of surrender that your joy, the joy of the Lord, might be our strength for our days. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Spirit. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, Joe. Would you stand with us, please? And uh, as we've been doing through this series, I'm going to invite you to uh, recite the creed with me. So let us do it now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Let's celebrate.